Bruh, are you really still doing the books? Yes, man. I'm still doing the books, man. These folks make their books. You know, books, we got bro. Andre Owens coming on the show today, man. The creator of Bovine League and the owner of Hero. That's Olympic. cool and all, but these folks hit me up for you, bro. I gotta get really? them out. Yeah, you really make them where you can't change it up, man? Bro, I'm a one-man team, man. It's gonna take All right, man. I ain't gonna press you about it, bro. I hold it down like I do always. Finish y'all. You don't have to say all that, man. man. The folks waiting on books, man. Go yeah. ahead. Man. I don't care, bro. What's whatever, man. Do it. Whatever. whatever. Welcome back to the hood. Welcome back to Chill in the Green Box with Specs Thompson and The View. And once again, my co-host, you know, he's not here, but once again, he's doing actual work now. He's actually doing his books. He's, he's still sacking them up. So he's doing actually something, you know, besides no goofing off and doing whatever teenagers do. But uh, <laughs> thanks, Andre, for coming coming in the way, man. Thanks. Yay, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. And for the people who don't know who you are, um, give somebody a brief inf information, a brief summary of who you are. Okay, well, my name's Andre Owens. Um I went to film school back in the day, so I was originally a cinematographer. I used to shoot like music videos and commercials and low budget feature films and you know all sorts of stuff. I did a I worked for a media training company for many years, you know, uh, teaching executives how to answer questions from reporters. So I did all kind of different camera work throughout the years. Worked for um, the U.S. Army Proving Ground doing weapons photography and videography. So I did all kind of stuff using a camera. But um, what happens when you're like a you know cinematographer, a DP, you're doing creative stuff, but you're not doing your creative stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was just like, what can I do that I love to do? So it was like, well, I love comics. You know, I've loved it my whole life and reading them since I was a kid. So it was like, well, let me try to make those. And this was probably the late 90s. So it was, there's was no social media and the internet wasn't what it was today, but there was a website called digitalwebbing.com. I believe it still exists, but there was a lot of artists on there. So that's where I first found artists to work on my original books. So, um, yeah, so I've really reinvented myself as a comic book writer. And then in the late 2010s, I um, was lucky enough or blessed enough to sell a script. So I reinvented myself as a screenwriter, which I'm now on strike with uh, WGA. So that's that's, that's why huh? I'm up to this moment. Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, that's cool, man. We, we'll dive into some of that, you know, later on the show. But uh, I don't know where you're, where you're located, but uh, some, I guess, are not aware of the reference. But are you familiar with the green electrical boxes that be in front of the neighborhoods? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, you know, the show's called Chill in the Green Box. So, you know, of course, I don't know if you was able to do it. Some people, parents didn't allow them. But when I was growing up, we used to chill on that green box, you know, and just, <laughs> you know, discuss things, talk to your friends, you know, hang out, you know. Right, right, right. Uh, this show is basically it. So, oh, you great. know, so um, by doing that, you know, there's four different segments in the show. It's all music or comment related. And the first segment is called Breaking It Down, which okay. because you'll break down concepts and ideas with your friends in that green box. So we're going to break your brain down so people know more about you. Right on. Let's go to it. All right. So uh, I don't know if you're tired or not, but if you're retired from comics or whatever you do, you know, you're just chilling back, you know, uh, <laughs> what are you most looking forward to at that point of retirement? For retiring, what, what I'm most, most looking forward to retiring is not having responsibility to do anything. That's my that's my most exciting thing to you know get the retirement for. But actually, I've never really planned to retire, you know, for from like writing or comics. You know, even if I get to a retirement age, it's one of those things I just love to do. It's you know, comics is like just a um, you know, it's a uh, it's a labor of love. And indie comics, you know, everyone that does indie comics knows you're not getting rich doing it, uh, unless you um, uh, 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 
Robert Kirkman. <laughs> yeah, Robert Kirkman. Or, you know, there's a couple other brothers out there doing it, you know, they're making it, you know, making some money off yeah. of it. But, you know, it's it's a it's a tough hoe. You know, I've been doing this for a long time. And, you know, I mean, I, I make OK money, you know, but I'm not rich by any means. Uh, that's fine. Unless you get, at least you're getting some money, you know. Yeah, a little, a little bit, a little bit, yeah, you yeah. know, conventions, you know, my website, that kind of stuff. So, you know, it works out. Okay, okay. Um, do you celebrate Halloween? And if you do, why or why not? No, I celebrate Halloween. Yeah, I quite love Halloween. Um, you know, I loved it as a child, of course, you know, getting to go out to the neighborhood. I grew up in the uh, out in the country, so it was, you know, going to get to go out to different people's houses and getting your candy was always such an exciting thing. You know, and as an adult in college, you know, it was fun to go dress up and go to, you know, bars and stuff and do that. I uh, I no longer dress up a- anymore, but um, uh, I really enjoyed it, you know, when I did. And I really enjoyed Halloween. Yeah, so that was something I, I really liked Halloween. I had uh, my, one of my favorite things that I dressed as Halloween. Uh, I don't know where it came from. You know how things happen when you're, you're living your life. Somewhere along the lines, I, was ble- I got a, uh, a gorilla costume and a clown <laughs> costume. And I used to combine those two costumes Uh-oh. for years. <laughs> a gorilla clown. So. Right. I bet you terrified some people. <laughs> I'm sure I did. I'm sure I did. It was, the funniest thing is people didn't know who I was. You know, you, you could roll in, no one knew who you were. Like, who the hell yeah. is that gorilla clown costume? <laughs> <laughs> I bet. That's funny. Um, And what would you describe as your perfect breakfast? My perfect breakfast? Hmm. My perfect breakfast. Let's think. Okay, I guess I have to go back to childhood. My perfect breakfast would be a wonderful, crisp, Milky bowl of Count Chocula cereal, because that was that's a, Halloween, you know, that's a, ha- Halloween again, right? <laughs> Halloween, yeah, it comes back at Halloween. You know, I love yeah. it. You know, and like when I was a kid, you know, that was my that was the the thing I did. I mean, there would be times when I'd be sick to my stomach, but you know, you put a bowl of Ch- Count Chocula in front of me, I'd eat that sucker quick. You know, so I'd say, you know, uh, yeah, definitely Count Chocula. Now, if I'm going to like Denny's or something, you know, I, I'm pretty traditional. I just want some, you know, just like bacon and eggs. You know, I'm pretty easy. Eggs, you know, eggs over easy bacon, little hash browns, some toast. You know, maybe some pancakes. Mm-hmm. But de- definitely Count Chocula is my number one wish wish fulfillment cereal. Okay, okay, okay. That okay. So, what about the other ones? You care for the other ones? Well, yeah, Frankenberry was okay. Yeah, Frankenberry was okay because my so my I grew up with my uncle, my my grandparents, and my uncle and I, you know, were close in age. So he always got Frankenberry, and I always got Count Chocula. Um, And of course, I'd eat my Count Chocula faster than he did his Frankenberry. (laughs) So I, you know, dip into his Frankenberry. But then, yeah, so we had Booberry, and I think I think they got think of brute fruit or something too now. You know, brute fruit. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I believe there's another one I saw coming out this year. I forget what it is. Uh, There's a a, a, a woman character, I believe, on the cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In my uh, job, we have it. Well, it, funny part about it, in my job, I never realized this, but they done marketed those those characters. Uh. So now it's, now it's uh, uh, fruit snacks and other things. That right. same thing, yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. No, so, so that's cool. So you do marketing? Well, I used to do marketing, but now I'm just in uh, retail. But I, I did cool. do marketing before. Um, went to college for it, actually. Then... Um, uh halfway through college i started um uh, marketing for um uh, rappers different oh, artists wow. and stuff, stuff like that you know i'll be the guy you know uh have the, the posters up or the the, the flyers right, everywhere right, yeah. and the cds when they go to festivals and stuff you know i i have the table set up with t-shirts and all that stuff and people like that it's like i did that for i don't know then for a good while i think i did for about yeah like, like six seven years yeah yeah, it's interesting, you know. Like, um, you know, when I was a cinematographer, I was in the music industry quite a bit because I saw a lot of music videos and a lot of low budget ones. I was in, I was in Baltimore at the time. I'm, I'm in LA now, 
mm-hmm. but I was in Baltimore at the time and I shot like, you know, tons of low budget music videos for a lot of, you know, local rap groups and stuff. Yeah, so I, did, I saw I that. The same, yeah, I did the same thing. Yeah, that, that's so. like, uh, see, I, I was DJ. So that's where, okay. you know, I initially started with the, you know, people want mixtapes and also artists also want videos too. So I did, right. I was saying, let me get the camera and, and make extra money. Yep. Um, but actually, that was just, you know, me being DJ and locally in town. But what actually got me in the foot and door industry, uh, besides the internship with a record label, um, you know how to use a camera. And right. I forgot what happened to the cameraman. I think the cameraman went to jail or something. <laughs> something crazy happened. Right, right, and I was right. like, uh, I got a camera and I know how to put on this app and I can make a quick little trailer. And we was going on the road and the guy, he wanted recaps at every event so the artists can post on social media. Okay. I can do that, so I get the footage, right. and I can do that in an hour on my phone, and airdrop it right to his phone, and he have it. He was like, "Man, that's crazy," but then like I wasn't pat like I knew how to shoot videos and stuff. I wasn't passionate yeah, right, yeah. about. So right, like, yeah, no, I understand. Uh, so eventually they found somebody who was real passionate about it, who want to do all this spectacular stuff, and uh, it was right. cool. I mean, I ain't from the top of way because I just I wasn't passionate about music videos. Like I like. I like, uh, what's it called? Uh, the screen treatment. I like doing those. Okay. And I enjoy right, those. Yeah. Hence why I do comics now. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, and I like setting those up, like how the music video will go, because a lot of guys I was doing was their first music video. So they'd be like, uh, let's go to this house and get my homeboys behind me and like go over here. Oh, right. But it never made sense. So right now, I, I believe me. I so understand. When people told me um, weird Vinny's videos, I was like, let me listen to your song. Okay, let's do this, that, that. And they're like, oh, that's dope. Yeah. And let's do some some B roll footage to go in between the stuff. Like, um, the craziest part, you know, if you ever time, it's, yeah. a, it's a female R&B group, I guess. Like, the name is Brave. B R A Y V E. Y V E, okay. Yeah, they remade a song, uh, Don't Walk Away. It was an older yeah. song. They remade it. So I didn't shoot the video. I edited the video and made a music video. Nice. And the way they did it, it was... Well, I said it was supposed to be a breakup song. So right, I took okay. all the footage. How the, each girl had a little boyfriend, and they talked. They broke up in the song, and I edited it that way. The dad was a, a dad manager, and he, and he didn't like my video at all because I didn't put oh, him really? in the video. Yeah, I didn't put him in the video. No, I he wasn't yeah, he wanted to be in the video. Uh, of course he did. A, they did. They invited a whole bunch of friends and family over, so it was a cookout. So they wanted a cookout foot, um, footage in right. there, and they wanted a, like a, some weird Soul Train dance segment <laughs> they had in there. And I say that makes no sense in the song. It was a breakup song. Why are y'all partying and having a cookout right. and a breakup song? Right, the breakup. Right, right. So if you look on YouTube, it's two different versions of the, of the music video. It's the one that he paid somebody else to do and put out. In my, version, make the cut. Was, in my version, I was like, well, I'm putting this version anyway because it's a better music video. So it's two of them. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So it's great. I'm going to have to look that up as soon as we get off here. That's hilarious. You know, yeah. I, did, I shot a music video for uh, Willie D, who was, you know, from the Ghetto Boys. Mm-hmm. And it was, a, it, was a, it was interesting because it was the same thing. We had, like, you know, tons of friends and family. So we had to, you know, set up this whole fake barbecue, this whole Juneteenth barbecue. And, it's, you know, and literally, it's, you know. Five seconds on camera, you know, maybe eight seconds on, on the <laughs> final edit, you know, and it's like all these people and all this just because it was friends and family wanted to be involved. 
But yeah, I, believe me, man, I know how that is, uh, you know, with those low budget videos and, you know, people having, you know, just, just tired ideas or the same idea. That's one of the reasons that got me out of it. You know, I was there in Baltimore and I was shooting videos and I was doing the same idea over and over. You know what yeah. I mean? And it was just like, yeah. it's just got boring. So yeah, yeah I came to LA and I changed, you know, shot a couple of things, but kind of moved away from that after a while. Got out of the music. Well, to be honest with you, one of the reasons I got out of the music videos, my ex-wife at the time, I made the mistake of bringing her to a set. And, uh, you know, some of those music videos sets can get kind of raunchy. So she was <laughs> just like, yeah, I don't want you doing this anymore. So. <laughs> Yeah, I had the same situation. Uh, you know, I'm a DJ, so she got tired of all them coming to the DJ booth with me and stuff like that. Right? <laughs> so, yeah, you know how it is. Yeah, you know. but uh, that was a great. That was our first segment. You know, nice and easy and whatnot. Okay. Um, we go to our next segment. Um, uh, being in comics, you should know all about this one. It's called the back issues. Okay. Um, for those who don't know about back issues, if you want to know about uh, my character's back, uh origin story you're going to their back issues so if you want to know who maria hill is from you know nick fury uh you're going to her back issues find more about her origin story so in this segment you can go on to your back issues find out more about your origin story okay that sounds great all right all right where are you from and what do you call your hood okay so i actually am from a small town in western maryland it's a uh a heavily mennonite community called Morgansville. And back in the back, I'm an old man. So back in the day, I uh, actually integrated my elementary school with my uncle, who was about five or six years. He's like three years older than me. So he's in sixth grade when I was in first grade, I believe. The same one you stealing cereal from? Yeah, same one I stealing cereal from. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we had to, so it was Morgansville is what it was called. And we didn't call it, there's no damn nickname for it because it was just as a hick. I mean, it's 3,000 people, you know. Now, now there's a little, there's a bigger, the bigger town nearby called Hagerstown, which mm -hmm. I, which is easier to find. And, um, you know, we, we, we called that just Hagerstown or H-Town a lot. Um, yeah, but that was, you know, it was great growing up in a small town in a way. I mean, I didn't deal with a lot of bullshit because of, you know, race and that kind of thing. Excuse my language. Oh, um, but, uh, um, you know, other than that, you know, growing up in the country, you know, it's it a, you know, a, a great experience, especially back in the day. You know, I would disappear on a Saturday morning <laughs> at, you know, 8 a.m. and not show back up to 7 that night. And they had no idea where I was all day. So, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool, cool. Um... Since you said, you know, you was in the music industry, so I, I assume you listen to music. So yeah. what was your first song or artist that got you intrigued in music? Man, man. So I guess, you know, it would probably be uh, the Jackson 5. You know, oh, okay. Back in the, when I was a kid, you know, so it was, uh, yeah, it was definitely the Jackson 5 because it was like little Michael Jackson, you know, someone I could definitely identify with as a kid, you know, I was like, oh, you know, he's a couple, he's a little older than me, but it's still a kid. And of course, my, you know, my family always said, uh, boy, why can't you sing so you can make us money like the Jacksons? I was like, well, I, I can't sing. So, so would you listen to him before, Michael? Yeah, this is doing before. Uh, well, it was the Jackson Five. So when I was, a, you know, it was the whole group when I was a kid. So they're doing like Rock and Robin, and ABC, and you know all those mm -hmm. kind of songs. Um, and of course, I was a Michael Jackson fan. I mean, you know, I'm old enough that when um, when uh, Off the Wall came out, you know, that's who I was emulating as a as a preteen. You know, it's like, <laughs> okay, oh, I want to okay. be like that. You know. Okay. Okay. All right. In comic books, what was your first comic or comic related TV show that got you into comics? Comic related TV show or the comic book. It or whatever got you there. Okay. The first oh, comic related, oh, well, okay. So the comic related TV show I probably saw first was like Batman 66 or the old Superman uh, from the fifties with George Reeves. They're probably the first, you know, 
uh, comic book TV shows that I ever saw. So they're probably the ones that got me hooked on, you know, knowing who those characters were and understanding the mythology. But the first comic book, I mean, I'd read like um, like the newspaper strips, you know, as a co- as a kid, and they had that family circus book, uh, a comic strip with the circle. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. So one. I read that, and they and like I remember going to the bookstore and seeing that as a collection, you know, like a collected series. And I remember picking that up as a little kid, and it gave me my first understanding of like, um, you know, of uh, timelines and how because of the whole. There, the, if you read the, you know, through, you see there's a, there's actually a mythology of something going through. So I understood that. So then as after that, I remember I picked up like a Richie Rich comic or something like that. So I read that. But the first superhero comic I got that really got me hooked on comics for real was Superboy and the Legion. I believe it's number two sixteen, and um, they had Ty Rock on the character on the cover. And Tyrock is shaking his fist at Superboy and these other characters. I didn't know who they were, these other Legionnaires. But I knew who Superboy was because of, you know, of, of the Zeitgeist and Superman TV show. So I knew who Superboy was. But it was like, you know, this black character who's shaking his fist at Superboy telling him, you know, basically to F off. You know, you're not coming here and you know, occupying our land. You know, you don't care about us. You know, and as a kid, when I was maybe like, I think I was 10, you know, and it's just like, whoa, this is amazing. Look at this character telling Superboy to F off. So that really got me hooked on comics. I mean, I'm still a giant Legion of Superhero fan to this to this day. But, you know, I, you know, like every other comic fan, I've read, oh my gosh, everything, you know, so. Um, but yeah, definitely Superboy to Legion. I think 216 was the issue. All right. Um, going off of that tangent, you know, you being yeah. a Legion fan, um, how do they compare to the Titans? Oh well, for I mean, you, you know, for you, for me, I, teen- okay. Well, I, 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 so the original Teen Titans I knew of in the seventies, you know, were were different. But you know, the new Teen Titans when when uh, Marv Wolfman and George Perez took over, you know, in the early eighties, that was fantastic. I mean, I love that series. It was you know, it was so much fun. It was, it was beautifully John Perez is such a great artist. You know, was you know, rest in peace. Um, I loved it. But you know, the Legion is my heart. So. I, uh, you know, it's at the same time, the Legion had Paul Levitz writing, you know, Mike Grell is one of my favorite artists of all time. Um, he used to draw it, you know, and then they moved on to Pat Broderick doing artwork and then Keith Giffen doing it with, they had the great darkness saga. So, it was, you know, it's fantastic. And, um, and that was all mid eighties stuff, you know, so I, uh, I definitely am a Legion fan over the, over the teen Titans, but you know, the Titans are fantastic. And in other iterations over the years since then, I've always, you know, drawn back to the Legion. It's probably the, it's, in fact, it's the only comic collection I've kept. My only, I've sold off all my, the rest of my comics over the years, but I've kept my entire Legion collection. So I probably have, you know, I don't know, thousands of Legion books at this point. Oh, um, yeah. see, my first comic book was, uh, that had an impression on me was the Young Justice uh, comic oh. series. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I had yeah, those, well, that's what it is. You know, it's interesting you say that because those see, it's young injustice. And mine was the Legion or the Teen Titans. Those things attract young people, you know, because you can mm-hmm. identify more with those characters. Yeah, and um, I just had like a poster I had in my room that said, "Don't trust nobody over 16. Then when ah. I turned, then I turned sixteen, you know, I had to change it. <laughs> but, ah. um, um, so that was like, wait, I don't know, late nineties and right, yeah. I just, I know, telling the story, you know, you know, go on the shows like you is, you know, yeah, for got me time with that Young Justice book, yada da. I actually found the twenty, well, issues one through twenty five, uh, oh. a year year or two ago. The guy was just selling them in boat, and I got them from like twelve bucks from him, and they all wow. in like good, good conditions. So I was like, man, right. just imagine that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, so, so you get them things like fifty cent a piece. That's really good. Yeah, and um. 
what else happened? Uh, Brian Michael Bendis, you know, he's one of my uh, favorite uh, writers. And okay. he brought the series back, and I was like, oh, my God, like, the series that I grew up with and is my writer doing the series, but he didn't do it. I mean, he, I think he did all right. People give him slack for it, but I enjoyed it. But uh, I thought yeah, it was and crazy yeah, he, he, he just did the Legion run. It was okay. I, I think Bendis is really good about writing. Like, you know, I mean, look, I'm wearing a – speaking of Bendis, I'm wearing a Miles Morales T-shirt. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, um, I think he's really good about writing characters and giving dialogue. His plot sometimes the meander. You know, I sometimes mm-hmm. I don't know wh- where where things are going to go. And as a writer, I'm kind of you know plot driven when I when I write things more than character driven. But that's just that's just me. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. All right, last question of this segment. You know, um, when did you find out that she was a a nerd or a blur? You know. <laughs> I, I, I've known my entire life, man, you know, because when I was a kid, no one else, I, I, I mean, very few people were reading comics, you know, especially other black kids. It just wasn't a, it wasn't a thing, you know what I mean? It was like, I felt, I mean, maybe I've run one or two of my friends had it, um, mm-hmm. but mostly it just wasn't, you know, mostly, mostly kids just weren't reading comics and I was kind of ostracized that way, you know, but like, like a lot of peers of, you know, of comic book creators and even probably maybe people like you that are fans and whatever, um, you know, I created my own comics, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so that's something that I was always always able to you know d- dive back into my own fantasy world for it for you know power fantasy world. So yeah, that um that's 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 for me is the way it worked. Okay, okay, okay. All right, so on to my next segment. Um, okay. it's a double meaning segment. Okay. Um, uh, it's called uh uh hotkeys. Hot so. Keys. Yep, hotkeys. So in comics, you know, hotkeys are key issues where, you know, you want to collect, you know, get them slapped up and graded. Uh, when, like, a new writer get on or a new artist right. or a plot point, you know, uh, or care to introduce something like that. And nowadays, you know, you want to do it because they're making TV shows and movies out of certain right. comics. So you want those as well. Um, also, in music, you know, it's uh, certain buttons and triggers on the DJ's turntables that they'll press to trigger certain songs to come up during a time of the party and whatnot. Just get the people live right, right. And going. So this segment of the show is topics that we, me and you discussed earlier that you want the people to know about this interview to, to, to take on with them afterwards. So we can okay. dive right into that. All right. right uh, the first one I want to talk to you about is the history of your company. You got your own comic book company, correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's what I'm going to say. Let me uh, back up. So I'll go ahead. Uh, so it's called Hero Unlimited, right? Yeah, H I R O, Hero. So, what made you go that spelling versus you know the typical well, no? It, the, to be honest with you, I had a cat, and her name was Hero, and uh, mm-hmm. my ex-wife was in a play, and she played a character named Hero at the time that we decided the cat, and we didn't name the cat Hero H E I R O. We named her H I R O, and when it came about time for me to do my company, you know, do my own company, I was going to create comics. I was it was an honor of the cat. So literally, that's where it came from. You know, my first logo had a had a cat image on it back in the late '90s for uh, Hero Unlimited. Um, but yeah, it really just came from the name of my of, a, of this little cat that I found in, in Baltimore one day when he was freezing cold. So we <laughs> rescued her, and you know, so in the rest of his history, she got to move on to Geneva, Switzerland, and live an incredible life. So, so Hero got to be good. All right, and um, how long you had this company? Oh gosh. Um, since 1998, so 25 years now. Yeah, we was when I first incorporated. So yeah, so a long time. Been doing it for a long, long time. Produced a whole bunch of books you know, over that time. 
um, you know, a whole bunch of other things, uh, you know, under the Hero Unlimited um, umbrella I've done. Uh, did a, a really bad, I did a real, real, and don't look it up. I mean, you can look it up on YouTube if you want. <laughs> But I did a really bad web series. I, I was, it was only actually one. It was only actually been one episode because it was so bad. I just didn't have the heart to do more. <laughs> but you know, you can try check it out. It's called the Psychedelic Detective. You know, check it out if you want. But um, yeah. So uh, Hero's done a bunch of different a bunch of different things. But mostly we've you know been publishing comics. You know, we've um under the Hero banner, I've done um what is a um I have eleven different books, including a, a two hundred thirty page graphic novel that I just released last um last February. Um, called uh, Omega Chronicles that was like 20 years in the making. Okay. All right. Before we dive into some of those books, uh, what made you make the company? Besides like really make- gone, shipping your, your works to other companies that's already established? Well, it, you know, it, 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 a little secret is, you know, the comics world, it's not easy as a writer to just get into, you know, um, established companies. You know, it's not easy. As an artist, they have, there's ways to get in to be, a, you know, the Marvel, DC, Image, these places to see you. And it works that way. As a writer, it's a little more difficult. So what you'll find is a lot of writers, as you'll see, even, you know, today, there's a lot of indie writers out there doing comics, you know, um, because it's it's hard to get in to the industry without that. Now, there's a lot of my friends who have crossed over in the, you know, like David Walker or Brandon Easton, these guys that have, you know, definitely are in the mainstream writers now that can do things. John Jennings, you know, these guys are working on a lot of really big name books. Uh, um, Jeff Thorne. Um, so, you know, a lot of these guys started indie and they've moved to the, moved to the mainstream. Um, me that, I, you know, one day I, I don't, I don't like, I'm not a big fan of the mainstream comics nowadays, but of course, like I said, I'm a giant Legion fan. So if I had an opportunity, I would love to write the Legion. Okay. 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 Um, going to some of your words, you said, uh, one of them you said was on, on Meg, on Chronicles. And I've said it right. Chronicles. Yeah. And that's an anthology project. Yeah, it's, so Megan Chronicles is a graphic novel. So it's um it's about a superhero, um, Francisco the Super Green, who he hates that name, but like the society's put it on him, so he's stuck with it. But he's mm-hmm. he um he's returning. He's going to a planet to find the missing king, his friend, who had been kidnapped. And he goes on an adventure, like a Lord of the Rings style adventure, around this planet to find his find his friend and the missing king, and ultimately confront the bad guy. And that's like a two hundred thirty page book that I worked on. I mean, for years, there were multiple artists worked on it with me. Um, there are five main artists, but uh, three definitely main and two artists in supplemental work. But there's been different colorists and um, writer, um, you know, letters that worked with me. Um, at, um, you know, um, uh, so it's been a whole bunch of, you know, it's been a collaborative experience to get it, to get it all completely done. Um, and I'm very proud to have it completely finished because, you know, it's like, almost like a life's work. Uh, you know, I've done a lot of other single issue comics and, you know, to get that out, but actually have a full graphic novel was, you know, very fulfilling. Cool, 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 cool. And what about your Sisters or Power book? Okay, so I've got so I've got several books. So I used to do a book called um, Force Galaxia. It's one of the books I did. It's the first book I did, and that's an anthology. So in Force Galaxia, we had three stories, and um, there was Super Green 14, which is about the character I was mentioning earlier, Francisco the Super Green. It was about him when he was 14 years old, and we see his origin story and his adventures on Earth as a teenager. And then there was a, and then there was Omega Chronicles that was, that was serialized back then in this book, which I subsequently took out and turned into the full graphic novel. And then there was a book called Sisters of Power. Now, Sisters of Power is about an all-women's detective agency on Earth's rebellious moon. 
And so that was in the anthology. But then a few years ago, I decided I wanted to reboot Sisters of Power. So um, I found a, uh, one of my um, good friends, a guy named John Crosby, who's a talented writer. And I brought him on um, to help to co-write Sisters of Power number one. And we produced that with a great artist named Cesar Mo, uh, Moser. Um, Mora, Cesar Mora, I'm sorry. Um, uh, you know, from uh, um, um, the South America. So he's a fantastic artist. And then subsequently for issue two of Sisters of Power, um, we brought on Isis Climes as a, a woman writer. Uh, I've stepped aside, just I'm just working as an editor from here forward. And Isis and John are working together. It was one of those things where it's like, you know, I'm writing this book called Sister Powers about an all-women's detective agency, and it's great that I can write it, but it really could use, you know, a woman's perspective. So I've been looking for it to find an art, uh, you know, a female artist. And, um, you know, Isis is just a fantastic, this fantastic writer. So I'm really excited um, to to produce issue two with her, the story she wrote with John. Um, I plan to do that issue two of Sisters of Power after, for Kickstarter, after we do this Bovine League number two Kickstarter that we're doing right now. All right. Speaking of Bovine League, I think go right into that because your Kickstarter is live right now. Um, while I'm looking for the PDF, talk, tell people more about it. Okay, so the so bovine I... league. Okay, so the bovine league are genetically altered, superpowered cows from Switzerland. So it's, they're in the future world with the rest of my car- well, the rest of my comics. It's all set in the you know an alternative future, um, but uh, they're on a mission to find the stolen cosmic udder in the four teats of matter that have been stolen by the mad cow god Nandi. Now Nandi um, was uh, was the, is the cow guardian of Lord Shiva, who decided he was tired of just sitting at guard of the god and wanted power on his own. So he's abducted the, he's going around the world trying to unite the four teats of matter with this cosmic udder so he can wreak havoc upon the world. Um, now, the, the Bovine League must, uh, must travel around the world to confront him. So issue one was an introduction to the Bovine League. As you see on the screen right now, that's issue zero, which really introduced the Bovine League. It's an eight-page short, short story. Um, but issue one, we were introduced to the Bovine League. We learned about all the different characters. In issue two... Um, which I'm doing a Kickstarter for right now. Um, the Bovine League goes to Scotland to face the uh, m- the mad dictator sorcerer cow, Black Angus. So um, that's what that right now. That's what issue two is about. Uh, we're raising funds to try to get them to pay uh, the great artist Christian Alamino, as you can see on the page uh, on the screen. He just does fantastic work. Yeah, um, yeah, so yeah. we need to you know, get enough money to pay him. Um, he does everything too. He does, you know. The, the pencils, the inks, the coloring, the lettering, it's his baby, you know what I mean? So he's really the, the artistic drive behind the, the Bovine League. Um, and, I, and I love working with him. He's just, he, he interprets everything I write just, just very, very well. Um, what they, did you just pick an artist and this was an art style or what made you choose this art style for the book? Right, so, so what happened, okay, so I knew Christian, so I've, you know, I've worked with a whole bunch of different artists that, you know, over the years. And Christian was an artist that worked with me on the, the aforementioned Sisters of Power when it was in the, um, when it was in the uh, um, Force Galaxy anthology. So um, when I decided I was going to do the Bovine League, so let me step back. Now, let me tell you about the inspiration for the Bovine League. So the Bovine League came about when I was on vacation in Switzerland years ago and I bought a coffee mug and didn't think too much of it. And I got back here to L.A., and I'm looking at the coffee mug one day, and on the coffee mug it has, like, all the cantons or states within Switzerland represented and each by cow. And each cow has, like, that state's colors to it or that canton's colors represented with it. So I'm sitting there drinking coffee, and I'm looking at it like, hey, that's a great idea. These guys could be superheroes. 
So that's where they came from. So I approached my friend Shy Lurie um, to do the initial character design. So Shy, shout out to Shy. He did the initial character designs. And um, uh, then from there, I went on, I need to find the main artist. And I remember how great an artist that uh, Christian was. And um, so I you got him to come on board with the uh, Bovine League. And that's where we've been running ever since. I've had other artists do, do pinups of the Bovine League, as you can see at the end of the page there um that was shake ludgu who did that bovine league as children um and i've had a lot of great other artists work with me on the bovine league to do posters and pinups but christian's the main artist who um is producing the book and i just you know i can't say enough i can't uh, give enough high praise to how great of an artist i feel he is yeah it looked it look real dope it was real dope um so is that based like the justice league but as cows yeah, pretty much. I mean, no, it's it's you know, Justice League or the Avengers with cows. I mean, that's you know, it's simply that. I'm crossover with little X Men because you know, uh, even though it's a future world where there's like aliens and you know all kind of races of humans and you know cyborgs and robots, uh, for some reason uh, people want to look down on the the cows. So, <laughs> so they get they they get the X Men prejudice of being you know these uh, of these uh, these uh, cows, even though they're out to to save the world. You know, people still look down on them, but. You know, I have a whole six issue. The the whole series is planned to be six issues. It takes Christian a while, like because you know, like a lot of us, it's not his main. He can't make his main gig of doing you know uh, artwork. So that's why we're running the Kickstarter so I can just pay him so he can actually do the artwork. And it takes him a while to do it because he's doing everything himself. So you know, it's a lot of work. Um, mm -hmm. But I plan to do a six issue series. And this will be you know issue two. Issue three takes the Bovine League to um, uh, North America where they go to Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, where the Amish are. And they have a they have a run in with the Holsteins, which is like an all female um, uh, Fantastic Four group. And then they end up going to Texas where they fight. They face off with um, Bushwhacker the Bull and Babe the Blue Ox. And they end up in Japan where they face off with Big Cow and the Kobe Beef Syndicate. And the series ends in them uh, confronting Nandi back in India. So it's a you know a full run series, a full uh, story arc that I want to do. It just takes some time and effort and money. Now, if you guys please contribute to the Kickstarter, because the more money we get, you know, the quicker I can do more issues. So you know, go to Kickstarter and find Bovine League Two, and you know, support please. All right. Uh, since being your own combo company for like twenty five years, um, Kickstarter you know hasn't always been around. So has has Kickstarter helped you do more, or is yeah, yeah. change up for Kickstarter? No, most definitely Kickstarter. Kickstarter is the best the best blessing for an indie comic for me at least. Now other people may disagree, but for me it's been the best blessing for an indie creator because uh, my first books, uh, Force Galaxia, I paid all out of pocket, you know, and those books were sixty four pages each. And, you know, it's, I mean, that's tens of thousands of dollars that I spent out of my own pocket, you know, to produce those first two issues. And mm -hmm. then um, it was back in the day, so it was before a print-on-demand. So, you know, you had to get it offset printing, so you have to get thousands of books printed to make it cost-effective. Oh, you know what yeah. I mean? So I've still got books in storage, you know, from <laughs> 25 years ago. You know, I sold a lot, but I got so many printed, it's just, you know, it just wasn't cost-effective. Now, one of the main problems for indie comics is distribution. You know, getting the, you know, we have these books, but how do we get the books to, to, to fans? You know, I like I have my website and you go to conventions, but there, you know, there was only one distributor in the country called um, Diamond Distribution. And they, you know, they were, they had a monopoly on everything. Marvel and DC have suddenly left them, but they're still the main distributor and they're now becoming more indie friendly. But when I first started, they were definitely not indie friendly and they wouldn't take books. So it was like, you had to do the hustle on your own. No. So I used to sell them on the back of my car, just like, you know, CDs, hawking them, you know, every, every which way I thought of, I could sell, you know, yeah, I, uh, I do, I do the same. 
I do the same thing. I do the same. You know thing what I mean? I you know anything you can do. I do you know, same. yeah. I, go, I used to I used to go call people. I'd look up yard sales and see what people were going to have yard sales, and I and I'd approach them and be like, "Hey, can I set my tape, my comics here at your yard sale and sell them for you know cheap?" And people were very open to it. You know what I mean? So I just gave I <laughs> yeah, so I, you know what I mean? Yeah, you know what I mean? So it's just like, I tried to sell those things any way I can. So what happened, though, when the pandemic hit, um, Diamond, you know, um, lost a lot. Like, stores, Diamond shut down because they're, they're a warehouse. And a lot of comic book stores were in desperate need of comics. So a couple of friends of mine, Milton Davis and Jason Reeves, got together. And we formed Black Indie Comics Distro, or Bic Distro. And I we had seen a distribution. It. I seen yes. it. Yeah. yeah, so that was our distribution company. So we had, at our height, we had about 85 books and we were servicing a whole bunch of stores. Unfortunately, uh, you know, marketing and things like that, maybe I should talk to you about marketing. Um, you know, marketing and <laughs> things like that kind of gave, gave us head. We had to pause it. We're on a hiatus now, but we plan to come back. And it's, you know, it's definitely needed because that's what's really missing in the indie world is getting the, the distribution of our books into um, comic book stores. Okay, okay. Um, I, once again, you've been here so long. So has it been easier for you getting in stores now versus before, or was it before easier because there was more stores? Um, you know, it's interesting. I think it was easier before to get into stores because there were more stores and less indie creators. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Print on demand is like really, you know, set the print on demand and Kickstarters, you know, put a lot of, of books on the market, which is fine. You know, I think the more, the more to me, the merrier, you know, cause I'm one of these people that, you know, you know, you know, all, all, any rising, you know, all waters rise, rise everybody's boat. You know what I mean? So um, rising waters brings everybody up. So like, you know, from my connections in Hollywood that I have from being a screenwriter, I've been taking a lot of my friends' um, comics to my connections and, you know, before their strike and, you know, trying to get their books turned on because I, you know, to me, I have no ego in this. You know what I mean? So if one of my friends gets, gets you know, greenlit somewhere, it helps us all, you know, it helps the entire indie world, number one, and it specifically helps the black indie comic world a lot. So, yeah, I, I think it was easier in the past to get books in the stores, um, but I think people book a, a lot of stores are more receptive now to indie books because they see that they sell. So, you know, no, it could be half, it could be six of one, half dozen of the other. That's right. I understand because locally, uh, one comic book shop here, uh, my books in his store, you know, they sell and whatnot. And the other comic book shop just straight up told me we don't support uh, local creators. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Straight up. Which makes no like, sense. Wow. Which makes yeah. no sense. You know what I mean? You know, local creators are what, you know, they, you think that they'll be the, the backbone of what they want to do. You know, bring you in for signings, you know, bring you in for these things, you know, like to bring, mm -hmm. a, bring a new audience in. They don't know who, I mean, you may have, you know, they don't know you. You may have 10,000 followers, you know, on TikTok or something. You're going to bring people that are going to come in to their store, you know, yeah, to well, see your book. Yeah, I never, like, when I approached them, I did it twice. I did it when I first started out, you know, just trying to figure out how things go in the combo world. And they told me, they told me they don't have a lo they, they don't do it because they don't have a local or any section. You know, back then I was like, oh man. But now since I know about comics, they do have an any section because they got right. you know boom and all the other stuff right. Right. on the shelf. So I like so no y'all just on like unknown titles there. Right, exactly. Uh, um, uh, I can't think of his last name, but we got well one guy he's part of DC now. Um, I think Chuck Brown is his name. Oh, yeah. He's local. He's like 30, probably not more than 30 minutes away from us. That's where his okay. hometown is. And they had him there twice signing books. And they're not, <sighs> he's not he's not signing, you know, the Black Manta or right, right. the 
what kind of stuff he did. He's doing the signings for uh, Bitter Root and stuff like Bitter that. Root, right. And I was like, man, that's an indie book. <laughs> right. Well, and it's written, and Bitter Root's written by, by my friend David Walker. So, okay. You know, so, yeah, you said, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great book. That's a wonderful read. I really enjoy it. Well, I got it. You know, uh, truthfully, you know, he signed it for me. I haven't read it yet. But, um, yeah, well, I think you'll I like hear, it when you read it. I hear great things on the internet about it. So, you know, I got it uh, sitting on my shelf. So I, I'll take a dive into it. But I yeah, thought that was wild. I think uh, I don't know if Chuck was out in Comic Con, but I saw David and I. You know, Comic Con just ended. We were, I was just down there, and I saw David and Sanford Green, the artist on the uh, on uh, you know Bitter Root. So it was good. Mm-hmm. I you know they, I, don't, I don't know if they came to my panel or not. I had a panel down there um, about indie comics or, or producing turn, turning indie comics into other media. So okay. Um, since you, you're talking about uh, Bitter Root, you know I think they was optioned out for a show, I believe, right? Yeah, it was, you know, well, that's just it. I mean, you know, a lot, a lot of people don't understand, you know, the, the way Hollywood works is there, a lot of shows get options. You know, people think like, um, you know, because it was option, I believe last year or maybe year, year and a half before, but um, people think when it's option, it's going to get made right away. And then they get impatient and they say like, well, what do you mean this? You know, why, why I've never seen this? You know, um, our, um, one of my friends, uh, Sebastian Jones, that does Stranger Comics, um, Niobe's the book he does yeah. in this the whole world. You know, that was options with HBO. And I hear people being, you know, impatient now saying, well, where is it? And it's like, no, it's a process. You know, it's a long process to turn yeah. something into, you know, into a, you know, whatever, if it's going to be animated or if it's going to be a live action. Yeah. With that being said, you know, having a project option, like one of their projects, but is a writer strike going on right now. Yes, so, we are. We're on strike. Solidarity. So, so let's say, I think, I, I don't know if my, my timing is right. But let's say it's seven years, right, for the option. They, it's, they, the company has seven years to make something uh, with it, or it goes back to the the creator. Right. So with that strike going on, is it on pause or you that that is that timing? You mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's funny. I I don't I don't know. That's interesting because I don't know if that how that would work out. You know what I mean? If there would be if they would say like, well, look, you know, you guys run strike from March to you know September, so. You get an extra six months of, you know what I mean? I get an extra six yeah. months of holding on to your project. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, of course an option's great, you know what I mean? And and you want to make sure you, when you do that option that the terms are really good, you know, advantageous to you, the creator, you know, so, that so, so someone can't just you know, take your project away from you, you know what I mean? Um, but, yeah, I'm not sure about that. That's an interesting question. Yeah. Um, and also, since you're being a writer and you're part of the union or guild, uh, how do you feel about it? Like, uh, I heard different things about it and I got my own take on it, but how do you, well, how do you feel about it? Like as a writer? Oh, I, I'm, I'm full you know, blown behind the, behind the strike. You know, it needs to be, I mean, literally these guys are ripping us off. You know, uh, you know, the streamers will not reveal what kind of money they're actually making so that we could, you know, in the last, the, you know, things have changed since the last deal, you know, streamings weren't around in 2008, the last time we had, the last time we created a deal. And, um, you know, there's a lot of issues, you know, monetarily involved. You know, there's not, there's no royalties being paid. I don't know if you've seen that going around the internet, but even the actors, you see actors getting royalty checks of three cents, you know, so, yeah. you know, you can imagine what writers are getting, you know what I mean? And they're trying to get rid of writers and on the television side. They're trying to get rid of writers rooms, which are the lifeblood for us writers to mature into other, you know, other roles, you know, without writers rooms, we won't, you know, get to be that next chance to be the showrunner or whatever. You know what I mean? So you have certain, you have certain creators here in Hollywood. 
I'm not going to start naming names, but there's certain creators here in Hollywood who don't want to have writers' rooms. You know, are fighting against this, but it's like it's one of the issues that we're trying to do is that you know there's going to be a certain if you're going to have a you know say an eight eight episode show, there has to be X amount of writers on the staff. You know, that's just so, the way it, for for union rules. So are they trying to replace the writers' room with um, AI? That's going on. Well, that's a, well, that's another thing we're concerned about. You know, um, we're not as concerned about AI in general. But here's the thing about AI: we don't want we don't want to be able for anything to be created the initial idea to be created with AI. We want protections against that. You know what I mean? Now, if you if you use AI for marketing, you know of this of this project we did. You know, I, I don't know if a lot of people have a problem with that, except people in marketing, obviously. You know that that are going to lose well, their job. Well, in my case, in my case, I haven't used it yet, but uh, I can put up. It'd be easy for me, so I'll put up a, a image of my book, right? And I can go on the AI thing and says, um, have the view, the, uh, the view is doing this in his new world and this going on and make something, make me a caption with it. And it will generate right, right. me one in a, in a one second and I can post it right, right there. Right. And, and I'll have thinking about it and it's going to be different every time. So, well, yeah. I mean, it works for the speed because you know oh, yeah no like... i look, there's, i think there's a place for it you know what i mean i i see all the downsides and i understand why people are upset with it you know artists in particularly are upset with it and i understand why writers are you know cautious of why we want to have protections but i also see the advantages you know and and it's already here and that's the thing i've been trying to stress to some of my friends that have been a little ups, more upset with it you know there's you know saying you know damn the machines or whatever it's like the technology's here people are using it we're using it right now uh right, we're using AI... it right now the AI right. is writing everything we say down in in a uh, transcript. And so as a exactly. show, I have a tra- I have a transcript the whole show. And, it and says, that's amazing. That's amazing. Who says what? Yep. <laughs> yeah. No. No. There's there's a place for you. I mean, look, I saw someone using AI. You know, and I was telling my my friend Erica about it. You know what they're using AI for? To come up with meal plans for their family. So they say like, you know, hey, um, give me um, you know, go to ChatGPT and say, give me five recipes with chicken. You know, all different, you know, uh, between Italian, you know, Spanish, uh, you know, Korean and Chinese. Give me five recipes for chicken and using the you're using that. And this thing will shoot out the five recipes, the ingredients, you know, everything you need right there. And I think it's brilliant for that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Now, I've tried to fool around with it creatively and it's really dumb. You know, it's just it just, you know, because it just doesn't doesn't have a soul. You know, no girlfriend's ever broken his heart. You know what I mean? So it really doesn't it doesn't have that that we have as humans and it's funny people go playing by ai so much but we use it every day when we be like hey siri this or hey yep. alexa this or hey google yep. this you know yep. that's ai you talk to the ai just for yep. that. oh no it's, that's what i'm saying people don't understand it's already here and you got to get used to it it's like you know it's like you know it's like complaining about you know what it sounds like some people sound like when they were complaining about say um you know 120 years ago when cars first started, started around people were saying like well what about the people that had the buggy whip jobs you know they're going to run out mm-hmm. of jobs like no the technology's here it's going to change everything the problem the way is we've got to get a, a you know we've got to get in front of it legally and financially i mean that's what i was telling you know when it first came out a year and a half ago with mid journey and these art pro ai's you know a lot of my artist friends were really upset with it and i kept saying like look things will change when it gets when things people start making money and lawyers get involved or unions get involved you know what i mean that's yeah. when ai will that's how you get the protections against ai because it, like i said the technology's already here you're not putting that genie back in the bottle yeah uh where i'm at uh uh so two 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 places where i'm at uh, they always say like factories you know you gonna lo- the workers going to lose jobs robots but you know i see in commercial or promotion about so if you're that factory worker and you're scared the robot's gonna take your job, 
you can actually go to school, uh, a tech school, to learn how to build that robot so you already know how to operate it, then right. you can come get that get job. Well, like, and you know what's so yeah. funny? You know, you know, like uh, you know what I really believe AI can replace the friggin' CEOs. The people that are making these analytical decisions, you know, mm-hmm. sitting there going like they're analyzing how much you know, profits are doing this, do that. Hey, I can do that stuff, you know, in seconds. You know what I mean? What do we need these? What, to me, don't replace the workers. Replace these guys that are making millions of dollars for making decisions that AI can make in, in an instant. You know, they talk what? about you know workers being replaced. How about replace? Well, now I'm getting on my sandbox about about politics. I, so I'll move back. So I, don't, I don't know. Um, have you watched the Disney Plus shows? Yeah, I watch them. Yeah. What about when uh, on She-Hulk when they you find out uh, Kevin Foggy's really is AI bot? <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. No, I you know a lot of people didn't like She-Hulk, but I thought it was great because it was just like the comic book to me. You know, breaking the fourth wall and yeah. all that kind of stuff. I think it worked really well. See, what's people what's people was going on with the Disney Plus shows? People are expecting uh, superhero shows every time. Right. Um, but they don't realize the same superhero movies they've been watching. Having been superhero movies, you know, you have uh, Ant Man's the heist movie, you know, uh, Captain America's right. espionage. Right. They're they're not superhero movies. Right. So you, you, well, these... you got, well, you've got it right. You hit it right in the head. That's the way you know. That's what you have to understand about about writing scripts and uh, or creating something is you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you just said, it's a heist movie, but it's in a superhero genre. You know, so that can be anything. It's like. It's like I always talk to people. It's like, you know, if you have a story, like a simple story, like say a uh, boy, you know, girl meets girl, girl loses girl, girl gets girl. You know what I mean? Very simple mm-hmm. little story. You know, it could be a Hallmark movie. That could be a Christmas movie. That could be a Western. That could be sci-fi. That could be, you know what I mean? It could be any genre. And the, the point like you were making is that, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's uh, the story is different than the actual plot of what's going on. Yeah. That's not, that's another thing I, I I'll get on my high horse about and I, and I don't know if I get too much if you have time for me to bitch about this but I want creative people to understand particularly new writers um, in the comics world and other things that there's a big difference between story and plot you know what I mean mm-hmm. like story is what is what is what it's about plot is what happens so you have a thing for instance like you know if you take you know I don't know how many people have read it but you know I, I if you take like Hamlet right. You read Hamlet and you realize Hamlet's about a guy. The story is about a guy who can't make up his mind, right? To be or not to be. He can't make up his mind. But the plot is the same guy thinks his uncle killed his father, right? So you have to understand both those elements. You know, because often when I talk to young writers, you'll say, well, what's your story about? And they get onto the plot. You know what I mean? They don't understand that you need you need that you need that thing to hold the whole thing together. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, with, you know, putting all that together, do you have any advice on writing for uh current writers or upcoming ones? Yeah, well, um, well, that the story versus plot definitely is one thing I, that I that I'll say um that you must know, you know, as a writer to know those things. Um, um, also begin with the ending in mind. You know what I mean? You know, so, speaking speaking of that one of my right favorite writers. Uh, oh, I just lost his name. Just came. Uh, uh Brian. Hit me. Yeah, Brian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he writes back to front, right? Right. Because you want to begin, if you begin with the ending in mind, you know where you're going to go. I mean, you know, look, you know how it is. When you're writing, stories take on a, a way of their own. You know what I mean? Characters take on their own life and they can only do certain things. You know, it's like, well, character X, I wanted him to fly, but he can't fly because the way I've established his character. So, you know, he's going to have to, we're going to find another way to solve this problem. You know what I mean? So that, that, uh, that's a good, you know, a thing, uh, an, an issue that I think writers come up with. Um, 
Now, another piece of advice I think I would give writers is um, never throw away an idea. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just to, you know, like like for me, I keep I keep an I'm I'm very uh, I don't know, I, I'm very disjointed, so I have a notebooks that I write ideas over, and you know, it may say bovine league number four idea, and then like right below it, you know, sister mm-hmm. powers number thirteen idea, and it's just you know, full of ideas, and then I take all that and put in outlines and actually write my scripts from that. But but my advice is never throw away an idea because you never know when it's going to work. Like one of the things I think is most, and maybe you've seen it happen to you, is you write something, you go away from it. And you're thinking about your idea and you think like, oh, man, that would be good. You know, and you go back to it and you've already written it. So that's what yeah. always reinforces to me. Like, oh, that was a good idea because I've come up with it twice. You know, yep. and, and I, uh, think that really works. I have the same thing you have. But I don't I don't write that. I keep it in my phone, my notes. I just be okay. at work and I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. And I type it right. in. And I don't want to go type it in. And I scrolled up and I already had something similar to it already. I was like, man. Right. <laughs> right. Because well, because that's what you know, you know, you know you're on you're on the right wavelength you know, of what you want to create. You know what I mean? That you know mm-hmm. where you're you because sometimes you know how it is when you're working on something, you may you may be so involved with you can't see the you know the the forest for the trees, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's nice when you get that reaffirmed, like, oh I'm still going that right direction, you know, the way I wanted to go. You know. Yeah. Um, only only bad part that happened with that, um I was writing uh an issue for Legacy the View, and I did I did issue halfway through. I was like, man, this must be deja vu because I seem like I've written this already. Right. And I wrote almost exactly the same thing for wow. my for different characters in my universe. And I was like, man, wow, wow, <laughs> yeah. It, 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 it's funny how that works, right? You know, you're like, hey, you know, the way the mind works and does that kind of thing. So, yeah. But um, I'm just trying to think of any other advice I have. Uh, oh, um, characters should end up. You know, maybe that should. The characters often end up with a bittersweet ending. You know what I mean? The character mm-hmm. will get what he wants, but doesn't get everything. You know, it's like like the end of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, Indy finds the Ark and goes through this whole thing, gets the Ark. But what happens at the end? They take the Ark and they put it in a, a box. And they take it to this giant warehouse full of other, you know, other boxes to be lost forever in the government. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's this bittersweet thing that happens. So I think, you know, those are the different piece of advice i would give the you know new writers um something else oh there's two things i've I've thought about about for characters what happens to them in uh you know throughout throughout a story arc or whatever no matter what you're doing with them i think there's two things that usually happens with with their main character they're either gaining confidence you know what i mean they they, Mm -hmm. they gain confidence or they're learning to care they learn to care about something you know and that's based the basic thing i think that both most characters end up doing yeah it makes sense because uh the view uh i i can't think of the name of the thing but my little pitch for it is he's a reluctant mm-hmm. hero which mm-hmm. you know the beginning of the segment explains why he's not here with me right now because he's always doing something else mm-hmm. um but he's a reluctant hero but in, by the end of my story with him he's gonna see why he needs to be the hero right he's supposed to be yeah right. Right, because he, he learned to care, you know. It's, yeah. You you have to, you know, this is a great way to start. It's so, it's so funny. One of my early uh, comics, one of the one of the criticisms one of my friends gave me was like, "Well, the characters, you know, the characters so selfish and mean." I was like, "Well, that's who he starts off as, you know. This mm. this is this is the story arc, you know. This, by the end, he's going to learn to care, you know. He's going to learn that he needs other people and there's other things. Um, yeah, that's all my advice, I guess, for writers. The one thing I will give an advice, and I, and I don't know if you if you would say this as a creator of comics yourself, the one thing I give the advice about anybody who wants to create a comic or anything indie or anything you're spending your own money on, um, you have to remember the production triangle. 
You know what I mean? So you have the production triangle, right? So you have you have fast, good, and, and uh, you have fast, good, and cheap. So you can have two of those three things. So it can be good and cheap, but it won't be fast. It can be fast and good, but it won't be cheap. You know what I mean? So you can have two of those three things. So fast, good, and cheap. So if you remember those things when you're going into creating a book, you'll know what you want to do. So if you only have a little bit of money, that's going to take, if you want it to be good, it's going to take a long time to create. That's the way I feel about like my, my Omega Chronicles. I feel like it's really good. It took me 20 years to create, you know? Yeah, okay. So, because I had no money, you know, but if I had a lot of money, hey. Okay. All right. Before I go to the last segment of the show, uh, give one more speed run of why people should back your uh, current Kickstarter. All right. Well, look. The reason you should back the Karen Kickstarter is you get to be involved in the bovine league world. So there's a lot of tier rewards out there. So like for instance, um, and the the uh, the the first award for only five bucks of reward, you get a PDF of the new book, the Bovine League Number Two. Um, you know we have tiers where you get uh, multiple other PDFs or um, all the um, all the Bovine League books, and then all of the Hero Unlimited books, which is there are eleven, including the 230 page graphic novel. Then there's a tier where you get the physical copy of the Bovine League. Um, we have a catch-up tier uh, where you can get um, all of the Bovine League books. So you can get, you know, Bovine League issue number zero, Bovine League issue number one, which you're looking at right now, Bovine League issue um, number two, which is going to be the new book. And then there's a book called Hero Unlimited One-Shot that features one of the Bovine League words, Basil. So there'll be four books you get for, uh, you know, a, a four physical books. And then for another tier, you'll be able to get all of the Hero Unlimited books. So there's multiple tiers you're offered. We also have a great tier where um, you'll get to talk to um, independent filmmaker Daryl Lamont Wharton Rigby, who um, will give you the ins and outs of how it works to make an independent film. He's an award-winning filmmaker um, from Baltimore who now lives in Japan. And then we have another reward where you get to talk to uh, Hollywood insider Russell Farmarco, who does uh, a lot of sound production and sound post-production design in Hollywood films, um, credited over 200 different movies. And he'll give you the insights of how you know, Hollywood really works. So we have a lot of different different tiers for you to choose from if you go to the um, if you go to the website right now and check it out. So remember, go go there and look up Bovine League Two or um, follow the link that I hope it'll post. All right, cool, cool, cool. All right, man, we're going to the last segment of the show. It's called Dive right. in the Dive in the Crates, which is okay. another two parter, you know, uh, segment. So in comics, you already know about that. You know, you're going. Find that Legionnaire book, you know, you, you like back in the day. You go in the crates in the comic book shop and find it. Um, as for music, you know, you're trying to find that vinyl, that CD that you, you, know, right. you love back in the day, that, that uh, Jackson 5 or whatnot. So right. uh, I think that dive in the crates of this interview and uh, pull things out and, you know, that I thought. And, uh, you know, being, I got many hats and uh, many traits and whatnot. Um, Let's say bovine league get picked up, right? And okay. you know, you already know how to do the um the writing for it to be on a film or a TV series. Right. Um, who would you pick as your director and production company? Well, um, I think if it was gonna be if it's gonna be a uh, animated film, someone like Tim Story would do a really good job. You know, he did such a good job with the uh, with the Incredibles and stuff like that. I think that he would be you know, really good about getting a bovine league. A production company, I don't know. You know, I'd have to look into it. You know, it's one of those things where it would be it would it would depend on where we were trying to go with it. You know, if it was something more anime style, you know, if it was produced by like an anime if an anime company wanted to get it, you know, it would, it would go one way as opposed to more western you know western com uh, um, animated film. But yeah, you know. That would all be in the future, you know. I I I'd love for it to be animated or picked up as a as a you know live live action film. You know, 
look, in, uh, in my heart of hearts, would it be great for it to become the next Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? And, you know, we've got our pictures on Pizza Hut boxes. That would be outstanding, you know? Yeah. And I'd be, you know, would not be opposed to that at all. But right now, you know, all I'm worried about is trying to get this thing done as a comic and getting the story done and getting it out there for, you know, the fans to see. Yeah. Yes, that's dope. Speaking of that, my uh, new artist I got for Legacy of You, he has to do some work in that movie. So oh, he's really? starting, yeah, so so he's starting to see like his stuff out. Like Oh I, wow. Yeah, so like this really got my book delayed because Seth Rogan came and like paid him, you know, Seth Rogan got way right. more money than I do. So right, you know, no. I like go ahead and get the money. Like you can finish my book once you're done. But, well, uh, that's you know what, and well, the good thing about that man, you know, like if he gets like if your artist takes off, then your book's gonna take off. You know what? It, what it, you know what I mean? I mean that's mm-hmm. you know, I know a lot of people get upset because they'll say like, well, this artist isn't loyal to me or whatever, and it's like, well, unless you're paying them a lot of money and you got them signed on an exclusive contract, you can't control who an artist is gonna work for. Yeah. You know, they gotta feed themselves. So okay, all right, man. Uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, okay. If people listen to this or watch it after the Kickstarter has ended. Where can I go to uh, get these okay. books? So if, you, if if this comes out, if you're hearing it after the Kickstarter's ended, you can get my books at HeroUnlimited.com. So H-I-R-O Unlimited.com. Um, they're all on there. It's my website. Um, it's very easy to navigate. It's just because it goes straight to the page where you just click on it and you know buy the book. Uh, not a lot of you know bullcrap word on there. Um, there's a swag page where you can go buy a whole bunch of Hero Unlimited stuff. It, it takes you to an offsite, a third site, you know, third um, person site where you can get you know coffee mugs, T-shirts, whatever you want with your favorite bovine league characters or other Hero Unlimited characters. So yeah, so go to HIROUnlimited.com. And in the future, look back for BicDistro.com, B-I-C, Distro.com, where you'll be able to find just tons and tons of um, black indie comics. And okay. there's my website now, so there you go. Uh, I might... You might have my book on... I think I emailed y'all. I'm not sure. I mean, I first first started, I remember contacting y'all, but I'm not sure. We may way. have. We may have replied to you. I don't know. I mean, we've got a, you know, we had so many submissions when we first started, as you can imagine. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and there's only, like I said, there's only three of us that were doing it, so it was one of those things where it was like, I can't get through all this, you know, so because we're trying to read every book, you know, we don't want to because, no, man, look, you know, be honest with you, there's there's some there's some stuff that's just not up to par yet, that you know, that we're not going (laughs) to want to carry on our on our site. Yeah, understand. Yeah, so so there are all the books I have Milky Way Defense Marines, Hero Women One Shot, I got there, Force Galaxias, Um, then the newest books, Omega Chronicles, which like I said, I'm most proud of because it's such a exciting, you know, 230 page graphic novel. Um, what else we got down there? We oh, we got the uh, there's an autobiographical book called The Stone Age about a uh, bong store I worked on in Melrose back in the late 90s. So, you know, okay. And um, if they want to follow you on, on your journey being a comic book creator or whatnot, can they find you on social media? Okay, yeah, they can find me on most social media at Red Skew, so at R E D S K E W. Or on uh, Instagram is uh, uh, at red underscore skew. So, and that would be the new threads too. But uh, across other social media is at red skew. All right. All right. All right. That's cool, man. Well, thanks for coming on, man. Enjoyed it. Thanks and, for having uh, me, man. Definitely be looking into some on tier list, man. Some on tier list you had for your Kickstarter was intriguing. So, yeah. Right on. I really appreciate it. All right, man. All right. See you. Yeah, that's the show. Great guest, Andre Owens. Make sure you check out his book, Bovine League, and 
check out his company, Hero Unlimited, and support him everything you do, because great dude, great stories. And if you want one of those books that, you know, the view was second up earlier, go to LegacyView.com, because he got shit from out. And if you want to follow him in all his ventures, follow him at Legacy of View on all social media. If you want to follow me, follow me at Spec706. And if you want to be on the show, hit us up at Chill on the Green Box on social media or chillinggreenbox at gmail.com. We out here.